There are many hotly debated archaeological issues that relate to the Bible. For example, where did the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus occur? Was it at the site of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre inside the current old city of Jerusalem, or was it at the site of the Garden Tomb located north of the old city? Another issue is the location of Mount Sinai. Is the traditional site in the Sinai Peninsula the correct one? Or is Mount Sinai really located in the Arabian Peninsula? And what about the site of the Transfiguration? Did it occur at the traditional site of Mount Tabor, or was it at Mount Hermon? Or could it have been at another site like Mount Moron? For a fascinating discussion of these and other archaeological issues with one of Christendom's finest teachers of Bible archaeology, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Well, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome once again to Christ in Prophecy, my Colleague Nathan and I are just delighted to have for the fourth time uh, Dr. James Fleming, who is considered one of the foremost teachers of biblical archaeology and all of Christendom today. And Jim, we just thank you so much for being back with us Thanks. for the fourth time. We appreciate you traveling all the way from Georgia to Texas to I God's say, country I'm to be on this program. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nathan, uh, I want to thank you also for helping us with these interviews. You've uh, really been very helpful. And I'd like for you to tell our viewers how they could see the programs they may have missed in this series. Certainly. Just go to www.lamblion.com, our website. Every page at the bottom, there's a big button that says TV shows. Click it, and it'll take you right into the current show. If it's uh, past, then just go to multimedia and then television programs. It's right there in the list, and it's under a heading of archaeology, or look for Jim Fleming. It's all right there. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, Jim, in this particular series, uh, this program, we want to focus on hotly debated archaeological issues. Uh, and I realize that there may not be some answers to some mm-hmm. of these, but on the other hand, there may be. So the first one I want to start off with is uh, has to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes. Um, there are two sites uh, in Jerusalem, particularly there, uh, two, and that is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, which is... Um, uh, located inside the current uh, walls of the old city. And the other one is the Garden Tomb, which is located just slightly north of the Damascus Gate of the old city. Some also argue that uh, it could have occurred on the Mount of Olives. Uh, that's not a strong point, but some argue that. Now, I know when taking groups to Israel, that they go in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and they're just really turned off by all of the idolatry that they mm. see and the darkness and, the, and all the, the things that they see. Whereas they take them to the garden tomb and they, it's just like, oh man, this is it. This, this is it. Uh, there's an emotional thing that happens yes. there. You know what yes. I'm talking about because yes. you take groups over there. So getting over the emotion and all and talking strictly from a scientific archaeological viewpoint, where was Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected? May I quote one of my favorite sayings as a teacher which the students don't like? <laughs> Let me enrich you with a new uncertainty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I'm honored to be uh, archaeological advisor for the Garden Tomb. And it's one of my favorite places in Jerusalem to reflect, to pray. Oh, it has earned too. a sanctity. It's a beautiful garden. It has a site that looks like a tomb and looks like a garden. The Holy Sepulchre you described is really six different denominations. 
sometimes having services at the same time in terrible competition with one with another. And it's hard to feel the spirit of Christ uh, there. I once, uh, visiting the garden tomb, saw an Armenian Orthodox priest who I recognized as working in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Mm -hmm. And there he was, praying. (laughs) So after he finished his prayer, I went up to him. I said, what's a nice Armenian like you doing in a place like this? (laughs) Listen to his answer. I think it reflects the view of many Christians. He said, we might have the right place at the Holy Sepulchre, but for me, this is a nicer place to remember it. Most evidences for any site's authenticity will fall into three categories. Geographical evidence, historical evidence, archaeological evidence. The garden tomb has excellent geographical evidence. It's outside the walls of Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. It's along a major road that went both from Jerusalem north to Damascus and from Jerusalem east to the Mount of Olives in Jericho. And the Romans like crucifying on major Mm -hmm. roads. It has a huge water cistern within it, which is too large for a house. It was probably an irrigation that would go with garden. It has near it an Old Testament stone quarry that left a cliff. And most ancient quarries that left cliffs were reused as cemeteries because it's nicer to have a wall Mm -hmm. entrance to a tomb than a floor entrance to the tomb. Uh, A tomb is located there. And And uh, on the face of that quarry, there looks like a skull. Looks like a skull. And the three things there are, it's called Golgotha or skull because it either looks like a skull, it's smooth on top like the top Mm -hmm. of a cranium, or skeletons were found nearby. Mm -hmm. Garden tomb, at a certain angle, the facade looks like a skull. It's smooth on top, like the top of a skull. And nearby are uh, tombs. Okay, now I can feel it coming. Uh, We've got all this this stuff, but... Sure. (laughs) Uh, The weaknesses are the second two, history and archaeology. By the way, the garden tomb staff is always very conscious... To end every one of their little talks, we cannot be sure this is the tomb of Jesus, but it is an empty tomb and reminds us of the importance of the resurrection. They always say, and wherever the tomb is, it's empty. Yes. So you believe it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the. Yes, and it's the other two areas where the garden tomb is weak. Um, No one suggests the garden tomb until the 1880s AD. And many denominations uh, were kicked out of the Holy Sepulchre. If there was any memory of an alternate site, wouldn't you think one of those would have chosen that? They have a place by themselves. No one you know, suggested Well, is it that. true that many of the holy sites, like the, the site of the uh, birth of Jesus and the site of the death, burial, and resurrection, were all selected by the mother of Constantine some 300 years after yes, the events? Yes, yes. The three main sites were uh, the Church of the Nativity, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and the Church of the Ascension. Those fall into the three categories that churches can fall into. One is close, that's the Church of the Nativity. One is mistaken, that's the Church of the Ascension. It's over a Jewish tomb from the time of Jesus. And one is probably accurate. And let me just quick summarize why most archaeologists, in fact all Herodian period archaeologists, I know, feel that the Holy Sepulchre 
as good archaeological okay. evidence. It is over a Herodian period tomb, which means it's outside the wall in the Herodian period. We don't know for sure where the wall was right. for the Holy Sepulchre Church. We do know the garden tomb is outside. Mm-hmm. But if there's a Herodian period cemetery, which means 37 B.C. to 70 A.D., yes. and that's the exact kind of tomb, unfortunately... And it's hard for me to say it because I love the garden tomb so much. But it is an Old Testament style tomb. Mm-hmm. In a line of Old Testament style tombs. Did you know three feet inside the wall of the garden tomb is an Old Testament tomb with bones and pottery still in it from the Old Testament mm-hmm. period? Uh, and remember, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was a newly cut tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Yeah. Now, it's technically true. Mrs. Arimathea could have said, listen, Joe. I don't care if everybody else is making these fancy, fancy Herodian period tombs. If you want me to be buried with you, you make them like they were in the Old Testament period. But you see, the point is, it's near Old Testament tombs that still have Old Testament. Now, the mother of Constantine was not an archaeologist. No, she was probably not even a historian. She no. probably knew little of the Bible. Correct. So she selects these sites. How does she select them on this the basis of tradition one, or something? She uh, writes a letter which we have to her son, the emperor, dear Consti. <laughs> dear, you'll be glad <laughs> she didn't to say know dear, dear Sonny or something. <laughs> that the local believers say that they have received from the ancestors an exact tradition for where the burial of Jesus was. It's under the Venus Aphrodite pagan temple that the Romans built. Did you know we have the names of all the bishops of the Jerusalem church from James, the relative of Jesus in the book of Acts, until Helena? Mm -hmm. Until 135 AD, it's a Jewish name. Uh, Jewish believers in Jesus. But then the Jews had to leave Jerusalem, and it's a Gentile name. Uh, If there's any site parents are going to pass on to their kids, it's going to be the tomb of the resurrection. Okay. Theologically. And sure enough, when they tore down the Venus Aphrodite site, they found what we now know is a Herodian period tomb. It's complicated, but it has all the characteristics of tombs in that very restricted period from 37 B.C. to 70 A.D. Okay, but the garden tomb is still a great uh, object lesson. So it's correct. It's the nicer place to remember. (laughs) And isn't it great, too? We are reminded there that... A missing body, an empty tomb, points to the deeper theological truth. That's true. The spirit of the raised Christ, alive and well in our hearts today. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome back to our interview of Dr. James Fleming, renowned teacher of biblical archaeology. Uh, Jim, we've been talking about the site of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you've just made it clear to us that you think that it's at the site of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, that raises a question, and that is that recently there was a whole lot of hullabaloo over the discovery of the tomb of the family of Jesus in uh, Nazareth, and we had uh, James Cameron, the uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, was the producer. Yes, Cameron's gave the money to and make Cameron, it. Uh, and they held this big uh-huh. thing, and and this tomb had been discovered in Jerusalem, and they said, "See, this really, this is the tomb. This is where he was buried. There was no resurrection, and so forth." What about it? Um, there was a very serious problem when you have names that you find like on bone boxes mm-hmm. and there were ten bone boxes in that tomb to say just because there's a Mary or there happened to be a Jesus son of Joseph mm-hmm. on one of them uh, there was a Matthew uh, a Martha that is these specific ones from the Gospels 
these are such common names. 75% of the people in the time of Jesus have either names of biblical names or the Hasmoneans, the Jewish family that drove out the Greeks right. in the 2nd century B.C. And there's very few first names. So you have between uh, 10 and 40% of the names are in uh, our disciples' names, of the common names from the period. Sure. So, and certainly uh, Joshua or Yeshua would have been a very famous sure. name. Seven uh, percent of people well, were named Joshua. Yeah. More than that named Joseph. Uh, Simon's 20%. So in any case, um, it's just someone getting their exercise by jumping to conclusions <laughs> in order to make a sensationalist documentary. But serious scholars would say, hey, there's no evidence that would be those families. As you mentioned, Jesus' family tomb would be in Nazareth, well, not certainly. in Jerusalem. And this was no new discovery. Israelis no. discovered this, and they discovered the it several years before. Yeah, in the 1980s. And they didn't make anything out of it because yeah. they realized it. Was. And, of course, what's most tragic is that one of the tombs was a, a woman named Mary, who we tried to show was Mary Magdalene, who was married to Jesus, and one of the bone boxes was uh, Judah's son of Jesus, and it showed that you know they had this child. All of this Da Vinci Code stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And the same guy believes in uh, the Da Vinci Code stuff. Well, let's get back to something. It's more just substantial. not serious. It's Nathan. not serious. Well, glad to hear that wasn't a smoking gun after all. <laughs> yeah. Now. Obviously, the Sinai Peninsula, you think Sinai Peninsula, Mount Sinai. But I watched a documentary recently that says they think now it's in the Arabian Peninsula. Where do you think Mount Sinai is? Where we got the Ten Commandments. Yes, yes. Um, here's your problem. In remote areas, you don't have people living at the same oasis where they can pass on a tradition from parent to son or daughter without break. Most of these areas are places of sojourn you're going through. Of the more than 30 places in the Exodus mentioned with names where they stopped, only four of them sound like any modern Arabic names in the desert. Hmm. And those are the largest oases where people lived. So we have lots of questions. How large was the Sinai Desert at the time? The same thing goes for the wilderness of Zin, the wilderness of Paran, etc., it is true we don't have good archaeological evidence for the traditional Mount Sinai, Jebel Musa, the mountain of Moses. So it has been suggested that a site in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. which had a volcanic eruption somewhere around uh, three to 4,000 years ago, could that be the fire and smoke mm-hmm. of the biblical uh, period? The problem is the Saudis have not permitted any sound archaeological survey there. So to put all your eggs in a basket, of a, in one basket, for a site that hasn't had proper excavation is very Well, I've been easy. to the site on, in the Sinai Peninsula once, and um, it immediately struck me that that site, I don't know where in the world you'd put two million people. Mm-hmm. There's no flat land around where, where they could have camped or whatever that I can find. I, I don't know. The earliest known tradition we have for that mountain is 250 A.D. Mm-hmm. Wow. Again, we're talking about something between 14 and 1200 B.C. Yeah. So, again, there is a mountain that we have found X son of Y was here. It doesn't say Y was there from 
the Nabataeans, 200 BC, but we just don't have enough to go on because it's a place of sojourn. Well, that leads me to another question, and that is that uh, many of the archaeologists that uh, I read these days uh, talk about the whole Exodus as simply nothing but a fantasy, that mm-hmm. it never occurred. And they mm-hmm. argue that uh, the true evidence of that is that there is absolutely no archaeological evidence of uh, an Exodus. Um, I wish you would give me some complicated or controversial <laughs> questions. But listen. I told you uh, this is going to be hotly debated. In, in Judaism, when you ask a difficult question for which your program is timed. Yeah, they ask you, you a question or something. The, the rabbis would always, always preface it by saying, please tell me while standing on one foot. <laughs> so let me give you a one foot answer here, David. Um, you know, um, you should not expect the Egyptian Daily News to have an article about Pharaoh or his army being defeated. Well, of course um, not. It's <laughs> only victories. So it is not surprising that you don't have defeats. The, you know, everything the king says is good and powerful and stuff like this. But there are many evidences of um, that the Hebrews came from a time in Egypt, that the land itself shows a gradual change of pottery from east to west, meaning from Jordan, Jordan Valley, Mount Judah, coastal plain, just as presented in Joshua and Judges. So to show that people did enter from the east to the land, as the Bible says. But more specifically, there's some things that you need to be open to. Could there be more than one exodus? The Bible has more than one route for the exodus. In one tradition, they're not allowed through Egypt, uh, through Moab and Edom, in another text, the king of Moab and Edom let them through. Some sites in the land, they worship the Lord at Gilgal, at Shechem. Other sites, they battle. Could there have been a number of times the Lord brought people out of Egypt? The largest was the Moses Joshua-led mm-hmm. exodus, and that's what ended up in the Bible. But the total number is the number that the Lord brought out of Egypt on a number of exodi. We just, you have to be careful to say the Bible says for sure there's only one when there's more than one root in the Bible and things like that. So it may have, it's still the miracle par excellence in the Old Testament. Right. God brought the forced labor class from out of Egypt and they started their own nation. Our special guest is Dr. James Fleming, who is uh, a renowned teacher of biblical archaeology, and we're just so delighted that he took the time to come and be with us. Uh, Jim, I, I want to ask you about the never-ending search for Noah's Ark. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> Haven't found it yet. <laughs> there is a high mountain with the name Mount Ararak on the border between eastern Turkey and Armenia. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's a border area with people who haven't had good relations. So highly sensitive. And you can't just easily go and excavate and explore. The other problem we have is that there was a partial ice age in the late 1500s and the early 1600s A.D., giving us most of the glaciers we have here Mm -hmm. in the United States Mm -hmm. as well. There's a Turkish inn that we know of from 1500 that used to be on a mountain pass there. And with global warming and the melting of some of the glaciers, 
some wood protrudes from something, which is a three-story Turkish inn, mm-hmm. known from sources. But you can imagine the uh, a religious imagination wanting to prove the ark. So that's it. The other thing is there's natural erosion of gullies that make patterns that look sort of pointed on either end in the ground. And one of those, uh, a producer named Ron Wyatt Mm -hmm. suggested was Noah's Ark. He wanted it so much to be Noah's Ark (laughs) that he, with the metal detector, walked every foot back and forth. Well, let's say it's pointed like this, in straight lines, and had a white rope with him, and added all these parallel lines. And every time there was a beep, he put a rock. And he photographed that. And those are nails from the floorboards of it. Now, stop and think about it. If he had walked curlicues with a rope, and every time it bleeped, put a thing, that's how it would look, rather than that's the way he walked, right? It's just crazy. Okay. So I'm sorry to say... Are they looking in the right place? It says the mountains of Ararat, not Mount Ararat. And so generally, up that's uphill from Mesopotamia, right? The yes. Tigris and Euphrates. Um, it seems to be the correct area, but... That, does it have to be preserved? So we need to be cautious. That's right. Was a boat that old? You think it would rot? Yeah. What about uh, David and Solomon? A lot of archaeologists you read, they talk about them like they were mythological creatures, like mm-hmm. uh, King Arthur and Camelot. Yes. Or is there any historical evidence to prove that they were real people? Unfortunately, there's a kind of pottery, it's called a two-color ware, bichrome ware, in the hill countries of Judah which there's a debate as to how long it was used. don't want to get into all the details of that. Some say that that uh, is in the 1000s B.C. Some say it's not till the 900s B.C. If it's in the 1000s B.C., that it's still being, it begins being used, then we have lots of evidence for structures that date to the United Monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon. If someone puts the date for that pottery down to the 900s, it means it's the divided monarchy. Mm-hmm. The general tradition now is more and more archaeologists are saying it's evidence in the hill country of Judea, which is what we're talking about. It started as early as 1000 B.C., which means we have lots of pottery showing sites. What about the, uh, the, the item found at Tel Dan that had the House of David written on it? Yes, now that's from 700 mm-hmm. B.C., and, yes, House of David. You know, what's interesting, every word had a little dot between it, but the word house and the word David did not have a dot on that inscription, which means Davidic dynasty, right? Not House of David. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, uh, an uh, Assyrian king boasting that he killed the king of Israel and the House of David in Judea. But certainly... Uh, this convinced most archaeologists, as you would expect this, wouldn't you? A dynasty that lasts 400 years in the Bible without lacking male progeny, which is very unusual, House of David, is going to be mentioned by some neighbor at some point. So it's great we have that. So generally, um, more and more scholars, and this is, you would expect as there's more excavations, are feeling that there is uh, a lot of evidence for... Has anything come out of the uh, excavations of the city of David? 
the ancient city of David that might indicate the hist- uh, hist- uh, historicity of yes. uh, both uh, Solomon and David. Yes, um, you have there David conquers a Jebusite city and renames it City of David. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to do with the dating of that particular kind of pottery. But uh, a major archaeologist uh, working there feels she's even found what may be the administrative palace of David. Really? So uh, at least it's a large structure with four-foot-thick walls yeah. uh, that seem to be that period. Uh, the stronghold of Zion is a synonym for David's yes. city. A 45-foot-high huge rampart, tallest structure from the Old Testament period found, has been found. That certainly seems to fit with the phrase stronghold yes. of Zion. Well, let's shift gears here for a moment. Yes. What about the transfiguration? Where did it take place? Okay. <laughs> Unnamed mountain. It is uh, a week after Caesarea Philippi. They've withdrawn from Galilee. It's what scholars call the withdrawal section to the district of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is not in Galilee. Galilee is ruled by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas wants to see Jesus. Do you remember he's just finished seeing John, Mm -hmm. (laughs) killing John. He wants to kill Jesus. Jesus leaves Galilee. And he withdraws to Herod Philip's territory. It's further north. And then a week later, he's at an unnamed mountain in the withdrawal section. It's unnamed, so I don't think it's Mount Hermon itself. It's a famous mountain it would be named. But one of the high foothills, there are cinder cones around Mount Hermon, an unnamed mountain. The other sites that you mentioned in the intro, Mount Meron, mm-hmm. Mount Tabor, are in Galilee. Mm-hmm. And if you take the biblical text seriously, they've withdrawn from Galilee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, on top of Mount Tabor, which is a beautiful church to remember the Transfiguration, there's a city in the time of Jesus. And you don't get the feeling that Jesus is in a city with Peter, James, and John for the Transfiguration. Dr. Fleming, I want to thank you once again for being our special guest. You have uh, intellectually uh, stimulated and enlightened us, but most of all, you have spiritually blessed us. And I thank you for that. And I also want to give you one last opportunity to tell our viewers how they can get in touch with you and your great ministry, find out about your Antiquities Center and the many materials that you have produced to help people better understand the culture of the Bible. Thank you, David. It's very easy. Digging for it is our website, .net, and there you can find how we can come visit our museum. We're glad to see you again. I love that address, diggingforit.net. So, folks, I hope that uh, you will uh, sign in on that and find out some information. Nathan, I want to thank you, too, for helping us with these interviews. And, uh, folks, I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you will pray for us. I hope you'll consider making a donation to our ministry to keep these programs going. And uh, I hope you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. What will happen when you die? This monumental question is answered by Dr. David Reagan's book titled, Eternity, Heaven or Hell. Many other questions concerning the afterlife are answered in this easy-to-understand book based upon the clear teachings of the Bible. Well, what about the resurrection and judgment? What will heaven be like? Is hell for real? Are there many roads to God? 
How can we be certain of life after death? Are you living with an eternal perspective? Many answers are provided to the most common questions people ask about life and death. And this book can be yours for a donation of $15 or more, plus the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, or order online at lamblion.com. And while you're at it, consider ordering an extra copy for your pastor and church library. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.